WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to City Talk. I'm always interested in writers and how they got started and and how they develop plots for their books. And uh, the lady that is joining us now is doing a repeat performance, as a matter of fact. She is Paula Norton. And she writes about a mythical private investigator named Amy Lynch. And this, as I understand it, is her sixth book. So, uh, Paula, let's get right into it. Let's let's talk about this book. Tell me the name of it and, and the plot of it and anything you can think of. The name of the book is Avenging Madonna, um, which sounds a little more ominous than it is. Um, it is a fun story, a fun plot. Would you like to hear how it started? Absolutely. Um, it's several years ago now when my husband was alive. Um, we we're in California and he insisted on taking me one day to the Madonna Inn. And it turns out the reason he wanted to take me to the Madonna Inn was to show me the men's room. Yeah. Um, the Madonna yeah. Inn is a very unique and delightful place in San Luis Obispo. Um, the men's room has one wall, which is a waterfall. And that's the urinal. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's worth seeing. If you say so. So he took me to see that. They actually keep a person, an employee, seated outside the men's room to tell women when it's okay to go in and see it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jack really wanted us to stay there, so we did, and I became fascinated with the place. Um, it is totally unique in so many ways. First of all, every room in this motel, and there are over 200 of them, every room is different. Each one has a theme. Some of them are calm and quiet themes. And then there is the jungle room. There's the Yahoo room. A lot of very interesting places. Um, and the primary color of the, the inn is Pepto-Bismol pink. They have old-fashioned street lamp posts all over the place and they are Pepto-Bismol pink as is the tennis court and the basketball court and it's just fun. Besides being a motel, the Madonna Inn is also a cattle ranch, which I found pretty cool. Um, years ago when the cattle ranch was a big operation, John Wayne was one of the partners in it. Um, he no longer is. The cattle operation now is down to um, raising cattle for dinners. Um, you get a marvelous steak at this place. Mm, sounds great. It's delightful. Um, right. So I kind of had in the back of my head, this is pretty interesting. And I just kind of stored it for a while. And then a couple of years later, after Jack was gone, I got a hold of a friend out in San Francisco and she went down again with me to the Madonna Inn. I wanted to do research. I was ready to write my story. And I 
when I registered, I told the desk clerk what I'm here for. And is there anybody around that I could connect with who could help me learn about cattle raising and cattle rustling and things like that. And he connected me with the most delightful fellow named Clint, who has been my mentor. I now know a lot about cattle. Um, because Amy Lynch is an insurance investigator and I wanted to get her out to this place, I needed to come up with a claim. So I decided the loss would be cattle rustling. She goes out to investigate the cattle rustling and immediately there's a dead body and life gets more interesting from there. As I was doing more research in general on San Luis Obispo, I learned a lot of fascinating things. Back in the days of the gold rush, San Luis Obispo, California was the single most lawless town in America. It just kind of blew my mind. Um, it's way, well, not way, but it is south of San Francisco. And of course the gold rush was north, but the gold miners needed meat. And even before California was a state, but also at the time of the gold rush, they would come down from the north to this area to buy meat for the miners. And of course, and these are gold miners there traveling south, probably on horseback with a pocket full of gold. Um, they became the target of um, highwaymen. The legend of Zorro grew up in this town. Um, it's just a fascinating place. And I turned it into a fun mystery. Well, I think it's fun anyway, where um, I drew the past into the present, made some interesting connections. And it, it all turned out pretty well. The book is available as of today. And its name again is Avenging Madonna. It is the sixth book in the Amy Lynch investigation series. All right. Tell me, now, when, when anybody talks to me about Madonna, I think of two things. One, the singer, the other, uh -huh. a statue. Yeah, <laughs> they think of both. And this is a different one. Um, I was curious as to why it had the name. And it turns out the people who run the place, their last name is Madonna. That'll do it. Yeah, they bought the place in the early 50s. Alex Madonna, and I do not remember his wife's name. She is still alive. Now, you go to uh, usually the locales of where you're going to write these books. So tell me about, bring me up to date with starting from the very beginning and how you got up to this one. Because um, you, you do, did a lot of travel. Oh, absolutely. My brother used to say I had gypsy feet. <laughs> the first book, Sweet Dreams, Sweet Death, takes place in Key West, which is a place my husband and I went often. And I was very prone to getting up early in the morning, early by Key West standards anyway, and walking the town when it was still um, busy with the remnants of the night before and the parties. Um, I kind of had the town to myself in the, at that time. And I discovered interesting things like the homeless encampment um, that gave me a different picture of Key West. And I was able to turn that into a fun story. The second book, Dead Drop, 
takes place at an archaeological dig outside of Paris, where I once worked. I um, always wanted to be an archaeologist. So I was working there one summer as a volunteer digging up the medieval city. And I really wanted to set a book in Paris. And I got to thinking about back when I lived there, my landlady had been um, part of the resistance in World War II. She was a very interesting woman. She used to smuggle forged passports in from the south of France. She finally got caught and tortured, unfortunately, but she was alive when I was there. She was delightful. So I used her in my book and I set it both in Paris and at the dig. And I brought the past into that um, from World War II. And that made a fun story. The third book called Deep Secrets takes place in Woods Hole which is someplace I've just spent an awful lot of time in my life. I used to work there summers when I was in school. <clears throat> and it's, it's a fun place in, on Cape Cod. Um, actually, what gave rise to that story initially, there's a road, Route 151, <clears throat> excuse me, which connects North Falmouth with Mashpee. And for years and years, Along the side of this road, there was a fellow, probably middle-aged, who drove a beat-up old woody station wagon, and he would pack it on the side of the road and sell roses out of it. And every time he went by, I would say to my mother, there is no way that man is making a living selling roses. I bet he's a spy. So um, I had Woods Hole and Spy, and... That became a fun story about industrial espionage um, and dolphins and their properties of, or their abilities with echolocation. I always try to find something that will, um, yep, where my reader will learn something. And echolocation and dolphins were pretty good. Um, the, what I think is the funnest fact in that story is I killed my high school boyfriend in it. <laughs> um, okay and, and he didn't deserve it if we were on good terms um he he actually is back in my life now um but i needed a personal connection for amy at the beginning of this story so i decided to let it be tom i put him into a coma and i didn't even give him a speaking part he just died <laughs> all right yeah, he is alive and well now, thank goodness. Um, well, uh, yeah, that's good to know. Um, that's good Dead, to know. My next book, Deadly Diamonds, I wrote as a tribute to my late husband. He grew up in Dorchester. He was a landlord in Dorchester. Um, and he was also an accomplished fencer. He ran the Boston Fencing Club for many years. Actually, the Boston Fencing Club has an annual New Year's Day tournament, which they call the Jack Norton Hangover Open. Oh, um, how do you like that? Yeah, I, I thought I it think was fun. That's pretty special. Yeah. Um, and I even moved the location of the fencing club because I needed it to be where the Boston Globe used to be. Um, and in that story, now it starts with the fire. And... Um, 
the fire is in the rental property that used to be Jack's. And when the firefighters get into the cellar, they find a body there wearing fencing clothes, lying on his back and his sword in his stomach. And that goes on from there. Then, kind of, a, kind of a gruesome way to find a body. Well, well, you have to be a little bit gruesome or nobody reads the book. Well, you got a point there. Yeah. Then, um, trying to think, direct elimination. Oh, that's the one. I would, that's the name of that book. Absolutely. The book after that was called Deadly Diamonds. And I got the idea from that from a restaurant at the town next to me where my husband and I went a couple of times. It was um, a particular ethnic background, which I won't identify because I don't want their mafia to come after me. But, I um, doubt that they would do that. Well, they are probably too attractive to go after anyhow. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, but every time we went there, we were the only people in the place, except for a fellow sitting in the corner at a laptop. We were the only people there, us and the waitress. And the food was good. So it didn't take long for me to figure out there was something bigger than just dinner going on there. And I assumed that it was a place to launder money for the mob. So that was the premise for that book. The other thing which helped with that, about a year before I wrote that book, I was in Ireland. Hey, have you ever been to Ireland? Only to the airport. Oh, <laughs> Ireland's fun. I'm, I'm, I'm all Irish. One thing that I saw there I'd never seen before, never even heard of, was Ohm stones. Ohm is spelled O-G-H-A-M. And is, it is an ancient Irish or Celtic language, similar to um, Nordic runes. And they carve messages on ohm stones in this language. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I had my money laundering people, who are also up to something else that I can't tell you or it would spoil the story. Um, I had them doing their communicating in ohm. It just seemed like a fun little thing to add in. Okay. I yeah. Got to ask you the obvious question when you speak of Ireland. Uh -huh. Did you kiss the Blarney Stone? I did not. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't taking any chances. Ireland is singularly the most beautiful place I have ever been. It's just incredibly gorgeous there. And everybody in the country is nice. It's amazing. I've heard that, as a matter of fact. I've heard that the people there are very laid back. And like, for example, when it's St. Patrick's Day and all the celebrations are going on here, over in Ireland, it is a very religious time. Yes, they go to mass. Yes, absolutely. Um, they're lovely people. They're very friendly, very welcoming. It's nice. So that- Tell me. Yes. Um, your, your, your earlier background is a lot different than it is now, as far as writing is concerned. You didn't do that all of your life. No, I did not. Um, my degree, believe it or not, is in French literature. It's um, a highly marketable thing, you know. 
after college, I um, taught high school French for 10 years at Abington High. Okay. And it, it was interesting. I was glad I did it. 10 years but, was but, enough. But, but tell me about getting married. And you've, Now, a little bird told me that you actually would sit down and discuss different ways to kill people. Absolutely. Weren't you afraid that would be overheard in a restaurant? Oh, yeah, it was fine. It, we got interesting looks. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. I, yeah, if I heard it, I'd, I'd stop and think, geez, I got I to gotta eavesdrop here and find out what's going on. Because I was already eavesdropping on them. <laughs> what, what different ways did you come up with? Oh, well, you don't want the ordinary things. You don't want just poison or a gunshot. You need an interesting twist, like um, the fencer with the sword in his chest, or um, even just different ways to shoot people. But um, we had a lot of fun plotting in restaurants. Um, Jack and I went together for 25 years before we got married, and we spent a lot of those 25 years traveling. And um, we came up with interesting stories along the way. He was great at coming up with plots for me. Um, once on Nantucket, I said I wasn't sure what to write about. And he said, okay, tell me three things you're interested in. <clears throat> And I immediately said, okay, I am interested in Paris and spies and archaeology. And he sat back and closed his eyes for a minute, opened them again, and gave me the beginnings of a story. He, he was very good at that. Mm. And I would go to work during the day. He didn't because he was a landlord didn't take a lot. And he'd have all these plans made for me, what, what comes next? And here's the research I did today. And he had a wonderful time doing this. And you were also, and I understand you, you can, and we'll talk about this. You were also his, at, at one point in time, a caregiver for your first husband. Yes, I was. Um, he had Parkinson's. He actually was diagnosed with that almost 10 years before we married. We married very late. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a factor. He was um, very slow to progress with the disease, thank the Lord. Um, I took care of him. For a long time, I worked full time. Then I cut back to three days a week, so I was more available to him. And when I turned 62, I did retire. But up until almost the time he had a stroke, um, we traveled. We went everywhere. We went with a wheelchair. We had a driver who would pick us up with, at the house, take us to the airport, drop us right at our check-in spot. Um, it's amazing what you can do traveling with a wheelchair. And let yeah, me tell yeah. you, the airlines are fabulous to handicapped customers. Yep, I'll go along with that. I uh, I used a wheelchair when we were going to Italy, and and they really treated us well. They saved us a lot of walking and uh, you know a quicker way to get from. We had to go from one airline to another, 
sure. uh, uh, when we were going over to Italy and uh, they were absolutely terrific. And I'll bet they're even better now with uh, the ADA being passed and, and everything like that as well. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> I could not complain. They made life easy for me. Um, we went to Key West and rented a wheelchair down there and I pushed them all over the island. Mm -hmm. We didn't stay home. <laughs> do you do more, more of your writing at home now than you used to? I do, um, partially because I'm home a lot now. Um, I sit on my back deck in the summer and set up the laptop and work. And in the winter, I do it inside. But yeah, um, I do a lot of my thinking in other places. And I do a lot more thinking than I do writing. <laughs> do, do you sometimes wake, do you, do you keep a pad and pencil by your bed? Oh, in case yes. you wake up in the middle of the night and think, ooh, yep, that's a absolutely. Story. I keep another one in the bathroom just outside the shower. <laughs> you never know when you're going to want to write something down. I have pulled my car over to the side of the road to make notes. I was going to say, I, I, I don't imagine you've stepped out of the shower, have you? <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> um, well, I mean, after you're finished, but yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, drip all it. over the floor. I have also <laughs> learned finally how to record on my cell phone. So if I'm ah. out taking a walk and I get an idea, I can just record it and address it when I get home. And how long does it take you to write a book? How much? How much do you write a day, or? Does it vary with the different books? I mean, can I wish one I get could finished? say I write every day. Um, I write in spurts. Um, some days I could sit down and write five pages. It, um, other days I just think about it. Um, but overall, it takes about a year to end up with a book ready to come out on the market. And, and do you ever get do you ever get frustrated? Hugely, absolutely. Um, my friend, Tom, I don't know if Lindsay told you anything about Tom. No, okay. not that I can recall. Well, he's but my high school right boyfriend ahead. that I killed in Deep Secrets. <laughs> I think she did um, mention that. She did mention that. Well, um, after Jack had been gone for five years, um, Tom and I kept in touch off and on. And at this point, I heard from him and he was going to be up in this area. So I invited him to dinner and he still has not left. <laughs> Food must have been good. It must have been. He has pretty much taken over as my muse and my critic and my partner in crime. Um, he helps me plot. He edits for me. I'll write a couple chapters, give them to him and he'll, he'll go through them, correct my grammar because, you know, it, you can't edit your own work. And um, then he'll bring up the things that I wrote that are totally fanciful and wouldn't exist in the real world. And I'm very good at that. <clears throat> we find ways to make them a little more believable. And um, it's hugely helpful. We do a lot of that. If we're riding anywhere in the calf or any distance, we'll talk about a plot along the way and how are we going to do this and what do you think so-and-so should have to say and by the time I actually sit down to write something it's been going around in my head for a couple of days and it just 
zooms right out my fingers. <laughs> How difficult is it in the beginning to get started? I'm assuming by now you have a regular publisher whom you I can do. just call whom you can just call and say, look, this is what I've got. Here's here's an outline. Do you want to do it? Yeah. But but how difficult is it in the beginning so a publicist won't think, oh, geez, not another somebody who wants to write a mystery novel? It's um, it's not easy. What finally worked well for me was two things. One was I joined the Cape Cod Writers Conference, and actually my husband joined with me. We made a lot of connections there. And the other thing was I joined the Association of Rhode Island Authors. Um, it's a fabulous organization. And um, the fellow who ran it at that time also has a small publishing house in Rhode Island, and he and I began to do business. And Ever since then, he's been my publisher, he and his wife, and they are delightful to work with. Uh, do, do you do speaking engagements? Do you give speeches? I love to. I have not done so since COVID, for sure. Um, well, yeah. But I did <clears throat> before that. Um, I did local things, the library, the, um, the senior citizens club whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll do a bookstore. I'll, I'll do anything anybody asks me to. Actually, <laughs> about a year and a half ago, Tom and I were down in Tennessee where he lived at the time. And we went out to buy a car that I could drive because he only had a standard. Um, and we were at the dealership picking up the car and it was a Saturday, and for some reason in this part of Tennessee, the local radio station broadcasts from the Honda dealership on Saturdays. I don't know why, but um, I ended up doing a show for them. Oh. They were there. I was there. It worked. How, um, how would you advise young people that want to write but don't know how to do it? I mean, are any of these commercials good? I keep hearing spots about, you know, if you have a book or you want to publish a book, call 1-800-so-and-so and we'll send you a kit or something like that. Um, I don't know how good they are or are not. Um, my advice, it's the advice I was given when I first started and I have given it to others is make a connection. Um, find a support system, which is why I mentioned the Cape Cod writers. There is a group called Sisters in Crime, which is all women who write mysteries. There is the Rhode Island Authors Association. Um, the support you get from groups like this is um, totally invaluable. They have events, they run classes, they just support you in every way. If you have a question about dealing with a publisher or anything else, even could, would anybody like to read my manuscript and see what you think? And they, people respond and they're very supportive and helpful. And the other thing is to get a critique group. And I was lucky enough to find a really good one, which is a small, small-ish group of local writers who get together on a regular basis and very kindly and gently critique each other's work. And that has helped me tremendously. 
You that would I, be my, my advice to anybody. Get into these organizations, hook up with a critique group, and take a few basic classes in writing. I took a class called Writing Your First Novel, and it helped. Is it is it harder now to get a book published than it used to be? No, it's a whole lot easier. Um, really? There are a lot of publishers out there now who are not the big houses, who are very selective um, and spend 90% of their advertising budget on 10% of their authors. So I've been told. Um, there are a lot of small independent publishers like mine, and it's just a whole lot easier to do business. What, what writers do you like and admire? Oh. Or books that you read other than other than yours, of course. Of course, mine. Um, there is a, <laughs> there is a mystery writer named Louise Penny who absolutely fascinates me for a couple of reasons. First of all, her prose is so beautiful, it is almost poetry. She writes the few books where I read every single word. I don't skip over anything because it's too beautiful. And she is totally ingenious. She comes up with ways of killing people that Jack and I never thought of. Such as? Oh, electrocution by this crazy means of something at a local event and getting somebody to sit in a particular chair where there's a puddle of water nearby and we can electrocute you. Okay. That was a good one. And yeah, so, that's not bad. I would have never thought of that. Nope. All of her books take place in a tiny little village outside of Montreal. And then there's a lot of French influence with the books, which I love. Um, mm -hmm. And she's fascinating. And then there's somebody like Sarah Paretsky writes the V.I. Warshawski series about a female detective that is just wonderful fun. Um, Jeremiah Healy was one of my favorite mystery writers, and he was a friend. He has since passed away, unfortunately. Um, Michael Connolly writes wonderful books. Oh, yeah. I love police procedural, yep. procedurals as well as mysteries. And there's always Nancy Drew. <laughs> well, I think of my books as Nancy Drew for grownups. Okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. Um, you probably didn't read Nancy Drew. I bet you read the Hardy Boys. I did, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yes, Same I read them. Yeah. I, I read the Hardy Boys. I read Tom Swift. Mm -hmm. uh, I read a, a, a series about a kid named Ken Holt. Um, and I have just gotten involved in a series by an author named Brian Freeman, Brian who writes, Freeman. Uh, writes about a detective named Jonathan Stride. I am writing uh, this down. Freeman, F-R-E-E-M-A-N? M-A-N, yeah. Brian, Jonathan, I mean, uh, uh, Brian Freeman, and uh, also an author named James, and I don't know how to spell his last name, but it's Grappando. He, he writes uh, about a um, combination lawyer and detective. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, named um, 
I can't think of his first name. His last name is Switek. Um, Switek. Switek. Yeah, that's that's a lawyer, and and uh, and a detective, and his stuff is very good. I I've only found one book that I started reading by him that that I didn't like. Oh wow! But but uh, Jack, that's it. Jack Switek. Is the is the, is the lawyer that he writes about? I will look um, him up, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you another one. Yeah, uh, is uh, Jeffrey Deaver. Jeffrey Deaver, I've never heard of him either. Oh, he um, he writes about a detective. I I always call him. He's a combination between Quincy and Ironside. Oh, uh, that'd be interesting. He's he's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. uh, the report, the the uh, detective, is named Lincoln Rhine, and uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was NBC who did a a two or three part special on his first book about Lincoln Rhine called The Bone Collector. Yes, um, that is ringing a bell. Yeah, he's he is very good. Um, he writes uh, different things besides that one. He wrote a great book, which was turned into a movie uh, uh, called uh, A Maiden's Grave. Hmm. Um, it's a good title. Also, yeah, and he's also written another one, which I plan to read over again, because I haven't read it in over 10 years, uh -huh. um, called The Bodies Left Behind. Ooh, oh, I like that title, too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah that is cool. Yeah, he's he's very good. And then and, there's uh, always Johnny Dollar. Yeah, Johnny I love Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Yeah, he was on radio. Yes, or the show was on radio. Uh, there were different people that that played the part, as a matter of fact. And I thought always thought that the best one was uh, Bob Bailey. Uh, he's the one I think that I have it all on DVD. Oh yeah, and yeah. I think Bob Bailey is the one who does it. Well, they the 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 best <laughs> the best parts of that show were when they did the, the they did a show they would always do five five nights a week, yes, uh, and spread it out in twelve minute episodes, and they were good as opposed to the half hours because mm -hmm. they could develop the plots more. Sure, uh, and and um, they they did a good job in doing those. In fact, XM. Does a uh, they'll do a Johnny Dollar marathon, and they'll Ooh. take like maybe an hour and a half, and they'll play all five episodes in a row. That's fun. Um, I have some CDs with him, and they're great when you're on a long car drive. Yeah, I'm yeah <laughs> yeah I'm sure they interested. are. Um, I Tom and I actually have talked about. Wouldn't it be fun if we could turn the Amy Lynch investigations into a radio show like that? Well, as I understand it, there's a group out on the Cape that uh, does that or used to uh, do radio plays or recreate old radio shows. And I don't think you'd have a bit of a problem. Do you remember their name? Oh, you would ask me a good question <laughs> like that. No, I don't, as a matter of fact. I will research um, that. But I'm sure that they're that they're around on the uh, on the Cape, and and it's funny too because there's also a book that I just found. It's an older book, 
but it's called Private Eyelashes by a gentleman named Jack French. And he writes all about female detectives that were on radio. Hmm. Wow. Speaking um, of somebody like Amy yeah. Lynch. Female detectives are very big. <coughs> Excuse me. They're popular these days. I never realized there were so many until well, I started. Women are naturally suspicious and sneaky. Really? I thought it was only men that were like that. <laughs> well, women suspect the men of being sneaky, maybe. <laughs> And they make it fun. They make it interesting. Um, you know, Agatha Christie started a lot of it. Yeah, there's an, there's another good mystery writer. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, and I'll tell you, we're completely off the track here, but I'll tell you another good one is Sandra Brown. Sandra, um, uh -huh. Sandra if you're looking for good, she used to just write romantic novels. Uh, but, no, uh, thank she, <laughs> she, um, she graduated from that and writes some good crime uh, uh, novels that are very good. Um, Breath of Scandal is one. Mm -hmm. uh, Charade is another one. Oh, uh, those are two that I can think of. What do you think of Harry Bosch? Uh, they're they're good. Oh, I love yeah, him. They're very good. Yeah, my wife reads him. Or likes him, as a matter of fact. And has she seen his TV show? I don't think so. I have not either. Um, um, I, we're waiting for the next season to come out, but um, it was really very good. Michael Connolly was involved in it all, and it's based on a lot of his stories, and it's beautifully done. Do you ever go to any conventions? I, Do they I have Go to the occasional writers' convention, but not since COVID. <laughs> well, I think I think COVID hopefully is long over. Um, yeah. One can hope. We're still careful. Well, yeah, there's no no harm in doing that. Yeah. Um, um, Sisters in Crime has an annual convention. They do it by geography. Um, their um, New England convention takes place every fall, and it's pretty interesting. They always get good speakers. They run some interesting classes. And where do they have this? Um, usually in a hotel on Route 128 North. Oh, so it's, it's local. Yeah, and it's for all of New England. They get a good crowd. Um, and it's easy to get to because you're not driving through Boston. They do <laughs> good stuff. Um, Cape Cod writers do an annual convention in the summer, usually in August, and they run um, a lot of classes, which are, no, no matter how much experience you have writing, these classes are very valuable. Hmm. And then the Rhode Island authors has a book expo every December. It's coming up on December 3rd this year at a hotel in Warwick. Um, and they draw a huge crowd. You get a couple hundred authors selling books. They have speakers and panels and it's, um, it's a really nice event. Huh. So we who's are the young, to that. Who's the youngest writer you ever worked with or know of? It's a good question. 
probably yeah, I thought it was yeah my niece Megan <laughs> when she was about seven she wrote me a story as a Christmas gift ah okay but that, how about pub, how about publishing that I couldn't tell you but it's an interesting question to look up yeah I will tell you a great mystery writer who's written a lot of good stuff for for radio and that's Lucille Fletcher uh, I don't know if you know that name. It sounds it, familiar. If you know the play, Sorry, Wrong Number. Yes. She wrote it. Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. She wrote that. She wrote The Hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm sure there are others that she has written as well. Um, but she's she was a great writer when, when she was writing stuff for radio. So... That's exciting. Um, oh, yeah. I would love to turn the Amy Lynch investigations into a TV series. I think that could be a lot of fun. Well, with all the uh, <laughs> with all the venues that are available now, mm -hmm. uh, besides just the three networks, yeah. I don't think you'd have a problem with it. Well, the trick is, though, they want things submitted in format to do it as a tv show who would no, you I, pick to be who would you pick to be amy lynch i don't know somebody really cute <laughs> but i i don't know how to write in that format yet um it's kind of like writing a stage play but a little different and apparently they're particular about that so that would take some learning i think i think my books would make a good series um, um, I, I, I wish I could help you there. I don't have any contacts as far as uh, that kind of thing is concerned. Do you know anybody who writes for TV? No, I used to. I used to have a friend who used to write for the Untouchables and the Adams Family. Oh, how as cool. A matter, as a matter of fact. And um, he wrote a book about the uh, plane that crashed into the Empire State Building. Uh-huh. In 1945. In fact, I had him on the air one night. Oh, wow. Um, his name was Arthur Weingarten. And that was in uh, 1980. So I'm sure, unfortunately, he's gone by now. Um, but but he was a great writer and, and wrote for wrote for series like that. That's um, fun. So he's the only one I can think of. Off the top of my head. Well, maybe there is a TV writer out there someplace listening to you. Well, maybe you never know. Would love you never to know do who's listening. I'd well, love to uh, work with somebody to learn how to do this. Well, uh, if you'd like, do you want to give an email address or any way people can contact you? Um, there is my website, which is pknortonauthor.com. Okay, that should do it. That would be um, wonderful. Well, hopefully, maybe maybe somebody is listening and will give you a response. But um, before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to uh, add to what you have already said as far as your Amy Lynch person is, uh, you know, uh, any idea what's next for this intrepid well, let young me lady? tell you what's next. You have a minute. <laughs> we have all the time in the world. Um. Tom and I were driving around Tennessee about a year or so ago. We had been in Nashville that morning and heading back out to the west of 
the state from Nashville, I suggested we visit a place I had seen a sign for off the highway, a town called Bucksnort. That's an interesting name for a so. town. So we decided to take back roads all the way from Nashville and find Bucksnort. And it, it turned out to be a bit of an adventure that day. First of all, we were on this lonely country road for a long time. It was all farms for a while, and then it was all woods. And all of a sudden, we looked to the, to the right, and in the woods on the right for a couple of miles was a very big chain link fence. And the question just comes to mind, okay, what are they keeping out or keeping in out here in the end, the end of nowhere? I mean, it's yeah. real country. Um, and we followed that for quite a while. And finally, we came to a driveway that went uphill and we could see a couple of buildings up there. And a sign that simply said A-E-S. When we got home that night, I Googled AES. And would you like to know what goes on in those buildings? I would love to, as a matter of fact. They make bombs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was a big surprise. And I'll then bet. we went past AES, and the GPS was telling us to take a right on Bucksnort Road. And I looked to the right, and there was a dirt path going up a mountain with a stream on one side and a lot of curves and a sign that said Bucksnort Road. And I, <laughs> I said to Tom, no, we're not doing that. And he said, yes, we are. And I said, no, we're not. And he won that one. Um, <laughs> it, Bucksnort Road is a dirt road up a mountain. It's all hills and curves. And it is perfectly maintained. There is not a rock or a rut on this road. It's about one and a half car width. So two, you, know, you could not pass another car if it was coming towards you. And on this road, which is in perfect condition, there is absolutely nothing. Now, what's the first question that comes to your mind? Why is there nothing on a perfectly conditioned road? Exactly. So we have had a wonderful time deciding what is there and what's going on. And I'm, we're having a lot of fun with this book. I've got about 13 or 14 chapters written so far. That'll be out in about a year. Um, we changed the name. I didn't want anybody in Bucksnort to sue us. Yeah. So, so we changed the name to Hogjaw. Okay, I like that. But let me tell you, after we did that, I did a little Googling and come to find out there are actually three towns in this United States named Hogjaw. <laughs> That's a little disconcerting. Sounds like, sounds like a place somewhere in Wisconsin. No, it's in Tennessee. <laughs> okay, well, all right. I'll so buy that. That was a fun premise to start a story in the... <coughs> Excuse me. The other thing that we're incorporating into that story <coughs> is the Pinson Mounds in Tennessee. These are ancient 
burial mounds from civilizations here long before the white men arrived. Oh, wow. And we visited them and they are absolutely enchanted. And you can hmm. feel it. It's just, it's mystical to be there. Hmm. Well, yeah. uh, that sounds intriguing. It's and gonna be I, a fun story. I hope that it will be. And maybe we can talk about it again. It'll be out in about a year. I can wait that long. So, um, so can I. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you give your website one more time? My website is pknortonauthor.com. Okie doke. Listen, good luck with your, with your new book. Thank and, you so uh, much. Hopefully we'll talk again in a year when you got another one written. That would be wonderful, Ken. It's been delightful chatting with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.